Welcome to Career Tools. Today's topic, handling 360-degree input. In today's show, we describe how to effectively handle getting feedback through a 360-degree review. Here we go. You know, when we were traveling last week, uh, we were talking about 360s, and although we've covered it here before, you felt like we didn't do a good enough job in that folks are often, you know, they, they don't get to choose sometimes whether or not they're going to participate in a 360. Right. And so they got a 360, and as much as we don't like the way they're done often, they're often not done terribly well, the fact is they're still stuck with this 360, if I can use the word stuck. And the question is, okay, you've done it. You've got your results. Now, what do you, what do you do with it? Right? How should you react and what should you do and what shouldn't you do after you've gotten your 360 results? Yeah. My, my whole point was that we, um, we talked about, you know, the, the, to be careful in terms of providing input and we spent, you know, a pretty good bit of time giving our rationale for our concerns all around the person providing the input. But obviously there are thousands of our listeners who are getting 360s. Right. And and you know, frankly, we didn't we didn't tell them what to do with it. And that's important as well. You know, if you're on the receiving end, if you're stuck, <laughs> to use your <laughs> word, word, right? Part of our recommended caution was a function of poor administration. Now look, if you haven't heard our cast on inputting to 360s, that's fine. At the end of this cast, we'll mention a couple of things uh, that we think are relevant regarding 360's big picture. Rather than starting, we want to get right into actionable content as quickly as we can. But at the end, we want to share some things with you about 360's in general that we, we think are, are worth noting. We like 360's when they're done well, and unfortunately, they're often not done well. Right. But they're done. <laughs> so right, yes. you got one, what do you do? Yeah, well, when you get the input, what's the professional way to handle the input? And frankly, too few companies who might start out on the right foot then drag the other foot behind by not helping managers deal with the feedback that they get. So that's why we're here, is to help you with those things that nobody else helps you with. So we've got five major points Number one, the total cardinal rule, the, th the biggest gap in people's minds regarding 360s is that the cardinal rule is focus on your strengths. And, uh, you know, we didn't invent it. Peter Drucker <laughs> uh, invented it. Many other people have parroted it. But, but it is particularly egregious uh, to think about weaknesses when it comes to 360 because that's what everybody does. So first, we're going to talk about how to focus on your strengths. Then our second point is it's not a weakness unless it goes below the line of everybody else's mean or average. But so many managers do is they act as if, well, my, the things that are below my own mean are there for a weakness. And that's just not true. And it leads to some really, really bad thinking. Frankly, our third point is explains more about weaknesses. Weaknesses are only a problem if they outnumber strengths. And we're talking about true weaknesses, true weaknesses now, and if uh, they are in your job's core requirements. Okay. Our fourth point is the kiss of death going after who said what, you know, the, the, the witch hunt, 
Um, and we'll address that very briefly, but very directly. And it, for, of course, it's part of what we've said before regarding uh, 360s. And the last one, at a minimum, we do recommend you that you've got to acknowledge the feedback. We'll explain exactly how to do that in a staff meeting. And then we'll also recommend that you can post it, actually, if, if the feedback you've gotten is not too damning. Good. Now, why is our cardinal rule, which is focus on your strengths, so hard for folks? I, I'm sure we shared this story before where we're, we're sitting with an executive and frankly, an executive that you both you and I completely respect and adore because he's an he's an awesome executive right yeah one of the best i've ever met at his level yeah (laughs) right top 10 ever right yeah so he gets this 50 page 360 feedback report and compared to his peers he is in the top percentile in 16 of the 17 categories on this 360 right and then one single area he's only meh above average, right? Yeah. 16 to 17, he's in the top 10%. And in one, he's merely above average. And guess, where does he want to spend all his time, right? What is he talking to us about? Yeah. He says, I, you know, I really need help with that one. Yeah. Right. You know, that's, uh, <laughs> I got issues there. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm concerned, you know, I mean, literally he's compared against other general managers who, who, you know, are running hundred to $500 million businesses. He's, he's put in the top 5% of everything and uh, except one area where he's in the top 25% and he wants to talk about the one area that he's not, uh, that he's not in the top 5%. And it was one of those very brief conversations that our clients and friends either love me or hate me for, which is, I'm not going to talk to you about this. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to dignify it with a response. This is just mind boggling. You can't possibly want to spend your time over there. What you should do is go get drunk or go be happy or show your wife or something. But this is not a cause for concern. And look, there's nothing wrong with wanting to develop yourself. Okay. There's nothing wrong with wanting to develop, develop yourself in the same way that there's nothing wrong with wanting more profits, as long as you don't cheat to get them. There's nothing wrong with wanting to develop yourself as long as you don't do it in such a way that you take away that your development actually doesn't take away from your results because you can develop yourself and achieve results as well. But isn't this how we develop ourselves by focusing on our weaknesses? I mean, that's how we get better. No. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Look, while it's natural for all of us to be concerned about our areas of weakness, look, you can talk to a thousand psychologists. I'll tell you the same thing. It's a function of our own insecurities. Okay. Uh, and we don't like getting in trouble for our weaknesses. Um, we actually, some people don't mind getting in trouble for their strengths, but they're really worried about getting in trouble for their weaknesses. Even though it's natural, though, focusing on our weaknesses in most cases, and I say focusing on, right? That means eliminating thinking about our strengths. Focusing on our weaknesses is the biggest mistake we all make. Effective executives know that we all have weaknesses. Effective managers, effective professionals at all levels know I've got weaknesses, right? They know there will always be areas just due to relative rankings of themselves where we're not as good as in other areas. You know, I'm probably not as good analytically, but I'm better persuasively. My analytical skills um, are below my average, Isn't that the problem, though? I mean, don't most executives really define a weakness as something that is not one of their top strengths? Yeah, that's exactly right. They say, you know, I I think of myself as my own mean. And if I have 10 skills, five are going to be above average and five are going to be below. Now, what's interesting is if you have somebody who scores 98, 98, 98, 
let's see, in five areas, 98, 98, 98, 95, 93, they're going to be worried about the 93. And frankly, it's a complete waste of effort, okay? First of all, that person could choose any one of those and, and probably be fine. But the, the problem is they think of those two, that 95 and 93 is below their mean, if you will, below their average, and therefore their weaknesses for them, okay? And it's completely wrong thinking. It leads to a really dangerous conclusion. What happens is professionals look at their feedback documents, not knowing the cardinal rule that strengths are what matter. And, and whether we're talking about 360s or performance evaluations or any other aggregated or adjudicated kind of document, they want to know what can I improve in, right? They're fearful of, of not being successful, of not doing well. They're fearing failure. And so they want to, they want to improve anything that might be the greatest cause of their failure, okay? And so what happens is we look at these things and we literally ignore our strengths, the things which help us do well. We literally don't even see it. It's not even there. And we focus like a laser on, on what we can get better at. And frankly, in many cases, what we do is we beat ourselves up or in many managers' cases, because they're so focused on looking for the weakness, they fi actually find fault with the input. I have seen managers, you, you could see their heartbeat quickening. You can see them becoming jittery and nervous. And when they get the document, they immediately go to some executive summary and then rip through it and find a few comments. And they, they are stunned. They can't believe that people would have said these things. And, and look, what happens is we make plans around improving ourselves. Most of us, some do, but most of us don't really dig into the data and try to understand it other than to mentally come up with some ju justifications and simulations, right? It's funny. I, I've seen managers do, they do two things at once. They tell themselves they're going to improve, and then they undermine that very thinking by defending their existing state and, and telling themselves why the people who suggested they improve really don't know what they're talking about, particularly when it comes from directs, because, quote, they just can't understand how hard it is to be at my level, which is, of course, part of, part of the reason why we tell directs, don't give feedback to your boss. Yeah. Happens right. all the time. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we've been talking about weaknesses, but we, but the cardinal rule is about strengths, right? What really effective professionals do with professionally delivered aggregate feedback is check to make sure their strengths, according to other people, are what they know and believe them to be. In other words, what they think of their strengths, everyone else agrees, and that those strengths are aligned reasonably well to the core needs of their role. That's the first thing that effective professionals do with this kind of feedback that's been looked at by a third party or been vetted by a third party or has, has, has large data sets to support the conclusions that are recommended. They say to themselves, do these, do, does this data support what I believe my strengths to be? And does this suggest that the strengths I have are well aligned to the role as I see it? And he, here's, here's the problem. If you go into this, and, and look, I, I said insecurities, but I know there are people who say, well, I'm not insecure, and so they tune me out. So I'm going to say it a bit differently. If you go into these looking for your weaknesses because that's what professionals do, you're wrong, okay? The majority of professionals or the majority of individuals do that, but the majority of effective professionals start with strengths. They don't go looking for their weaknesses. Frankly, they probably know what their weaknesses are, and if they've succeeded at all, they've figured out ways to minimize them, 
right? So they focus on their strengths because they know their strengths are what delivers the lion's share of results to our organization. Let me, let me say it a little bit differently. If you spend time improving a weakness, that weakness is unlikely to deliver results to your organization. Your strengths are going to be the things that deliver to the organization. And so we ought to be improving upon our strengths. What's more, if you spend time developing a weakness, it won't produce any better results, but you won't have spent time on your strength. Okay. So every hour we spend making a weakness into a strength, which by the way, no one does. All they do is make it less of a weakness. It's probably not going to be an hour that you spend on your strengths. And so it's it's a double whammy. You don't get the value and you're in the wrong place. Yeah. If you're spending time there, you're not spending time investing in your strengths, which is what top performers do, right? Right. You're right. We don't, we don't want to cast aspersions. We look, when we get 360, we look at it for the weaknesses too. And particularly early in our careers, we've since learned that what we have to do is look for our strengths. Let's make sure our strengths are in the right place. Okay. Sure. We look at the weaknesses too, but that's not the reason. That's not the reason we tear through the document when we first read it. Okay. The first impression that 90% of people get from, from 360s is their problems. That's not what top performers do. They invest in their strengths, as you said. Look, they check to make sure others see it the same way they do, and then they ask some questions. And these questions are so important. They say, what can I change to make my strength more available? It has nothing to do with weaknesses, okay? What can I change to do to be doing more of the things that my strengths are best suited for? This is why executives who have been, you, one assumes if you're an executive, you performed to deserve that level of responsibility. That's why executives are good at delegation. They delegate the things they aren't good at. In fact, really, really rigorously developing professionals at high levels delegate things to people who may be less good at it than they are but they don't care because it gives them more time to worry about their strengths. They delegate it to somebody who may love it or may not love it. They don't care. They're thinking about how to find more time to leverage their strengths, to work with their strengths. Okay. They ask themselves, what is the key part of my job and how do my strengths apply to it? And how can I apply my strengths more or better or differently to get more results? Folks, your weaknesses do not produce results. Your job is to produce results. Improving your weaknesses does not improve your results. It reduces your risk for failure, but reducing your risk of failure is not the same thing as getting success. It's not the same thing as getting results, okay? Top performers, this is how they maintain their edge for performing. They don't dull the edge they have for results by letting their strengths rust as they chase a weakness that isn't hurting them terribly much. Okay. So a weakness that isn't hurting them. So you're not saying, I, I hope you're not saying that regardless of our weaknesses, we're never going to focus on them or are you? Oh no, sure. There, there are times when, when you have to address weaknesses, but let, let's, let's, let's do the vocabulary piece first though, right? We started off with the idea that if I have 10 areas I'm evaluated in, by definition, five of them are weaknesses right? It's below my mean, assuming some random distribution of my skills. Okay. And we said okay. that that's a bad measure of a weakness, a bad yeah. way of evaluating weakness. So what would a weakness be that we'd want to focus on? Well, you remember, remember the story you told, right? Okay. He wanted to talk about his one area of quote weakness. 
when in fact it was above average for folks in right, roles right. and with responsibilities like him, right? Right. He, he basically did what a lot of us do. He compared our various evaluations to one another and he pronounced the lowest area his weakness. But again, that's wrong thinking. It's not our performance versus our own strengths that matters. Because in that mindset, of course, everybody, half of our abilities are weak, right? And, and that's not necessarily so. Here's the key. If one of your areas being evaluated in a 360 system is below your own average, it is not a cause for concern, or more importantly, it's not worthy of time trying to spend improve it necessarily, okay? Look, top performers have weaknesses relative, relative to their strengths. Everybody does, right? Some folks even have true weaknesses, okay? True weaknesses are those situations, those skills which are below the mean for everyone whom you're being compared to, okay? It's not just something that's below average for you. It's below average for everybody, okay? And top performers, some of them have true weaknesses. They just learn how to minimize them. They don't ignore them to the point where they get worse. They just don't invest hours in them. They know they're there. They look for ways to minimize their impact. And that may include delegating. It may include doing less of that. It may be willing to get in trouble for it and yet still uh, achieving great results rather than, as we've said before, trying to make them into strength. So you don't invest time in your weakness unless they're truly a weakness and even then, you do so carefully, okay? True weakness, again, are those things that fall below the mean for everybody. So don't compare yourself to yourself. Compare yourself to everyone else. And, and we're assuming, because we've never seen one not to be true, that a 360 is compared to other people, to some organizational mean or some industrial mean that you'd be compared to. You'll have your own mean, but what's important is any skill that you have that shows below um, the mean for the group, the control group you're being compared to. Now, but let's go further than that, right? Okay. So it's important to know you, you've got to be below everybody else's mean, but that that's what we call then a true weakness. Okay. But... True weaknesses in and of themselves, we are not saying you develop all of them, right? We're not. They're only a problem if certain things occur. Like if it comes up on a 360. No, just, just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, and by the way, you're not weird if you have areas below average. I'm trying to remember the Lake, Bo Lake Wobegon quote, the radio show in America for our international listeners. The beginning of the Lake Wobegon show run by a guy named Garrison Keeler on, I think, National Public Radio was something to the effect of, welcome to Lake Wobegon, where the women are handsome, the something or other, and all the kids are above average, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, it just doesn't work that way. It's like, like I, 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 I relish telling people I'm a bad driver. I'm really not a terrible driver, right? I've had a couple of accidents, but on the other hand, I know almost no one who will admit to being a bad driver, even though half of the world is below half of the, in the least in the U S half of the U S is below average in the U S right. As, as one of my brothers said I, about school, I was in the half that made the top half possible. Right. Well, and, and the point would be, okay, so you might be below average as a driver, but what would the value be to you or anybody else for you to spend a lot of time? learning how to drive better. Well, in fact, there's, that's a good question. What would the value be? It would be value destruction. 
the value of me learning how to drive better would be destroying the value of things that I'm good at, being a father, right? Uh, um, uh, being a, a, a management consultant and a professional and a podcaster and so on, right? I didn't even think about it, but now that you mention it, how do we solve the driving problem? I, I have a driver, right? I don't have a full-time driver, but I get driven places to airports and so on because I'm not a good driver and because it doesn't make any sense for me to become a better driver because I don't get rewards for that. Now, look, folks, we're not suggesting that you can just throw away your driving skills and you should, you should, you know, because that doesn't deliver value to the, to the world. Therefore, everybody should become a bad driver. We're not saying that at all. I never intended to be a bad driver. I just recognize I don't want to drive. I don't like to drive. I have no improve. I have, n there is no value that's created by me becoming a better driver. And so I am willing to avoid things. I'm willing to do things in order to avoid driving, which gives me more time, by the way, to write podcasts in the back right. of a car. So this was, this is one of those, um, devices called an analogy we're using yeah it's and it's one of mark's analogies so it's belabored analogy <laughs> yeah right okay good okay so look true weaknesses are only a problem for you again true means below the mean for your control group is first if they outnumber strengths okay if your true weaknesses outnumber the number of strengths you have. In other words, you have of 10 areas, you've got six of them below the mean for your control group. You've got work to do. You're at risk. Okay. Your organization knows what your 360 says, and, and it's going to mark you as an underperformer. And based on the context we're talking about, you are an underperformer, although there are, there are some exceptions. Okay. The other area is true, where true weaknesses is a problem is if they are in your job's core requirements. And let's go further than that. Even if you have more strengths than you have true weaknesses, your true weaknesses are a noteworthy problem that require attention when they match up as critical to your job performance, okay? This is the most critical and least understood use of weakness information when it comes to 360 feedback. When this occurs, when you're below the line, true weaknesses, below the mean true weaknesses are related to your areas, uh, your job's core responsibilities. You are now aware of a significant risk and all of your development efforts, both personal and organization, organizational must be addressed at this intersection. When true weaknesses and critical responsibilities collide, that's where you spend all of your time. Okay. In fact, so, so and what we would say is this, the only thing that causes you, even though the fundamental principle, the cardinal rule is still true, that you produce results based on your strengths. If your true weakness is in an area of core responsibility for your job, that's where you would spend your time first. That's the one caveat to the cardinal rule. So an example would be if, if you're in sales and persuasion is a true weakness, well, yeah. you're, you're probably at risk. Yeah, if you're in IT architecture and your critical thinking and problem solving skills are lagging, 
you better get busy solving that problem. <laughs> or if you're in management and communication results are a problem area. Well, yeah, I mean, think about that. Work yeah, right but, but look, but look, you know what? Here's what's funny. We joke about if you're in management, all right? Look, I don't think anybody would argue, oh, sales and, and, and persuasion. Well, yeah, gosh, that, yeah, I can see that's a problem. Or IT architecture, for those of us who have worked in the IT world, right? Critical thinking, problem solving, you wouldn't want your architect not to be good at solving problems and, and thinking critically, right? Or thinking systemically, let's call it that. But there are a lot of people who go, communication, results, management, that's management. The issue would be people, right? Eh, actually not. People's not a skill. Um, communication is a skill, right? So, yeah, if you're in management and you get low marks in communication or you get low marks in results, you're in trouble. You know, let me go back. Let me go back. I, I don't want to sound like doom and gloom. Oh, so we're going to get to the more, this is the more positive marks. Right, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, you're in trouble, meaning you need to work on this, or if you don't work on it in six months and you have weak performance and your organization is aware of your 360 in, input and you haven't done anything about it, you're going to start being told you need to improve or you need to find a new job, okay? Yeah. Um, if, if you were an executive and delegation is a problem for you, in other words, you try to do everything yourself, uh, or time management is a problem for you, you're in dangerous waters, okay? Yeah. Now, look, we mentioned an exception earlier. If you're a salesperson, the, the, there are some situations where a, a below-the-line weakness, in other words, a true weakness, is not a major cause for concern. If you're a salesperson in a tech organization or a tech person in a marketing firm, or a librarian in a complex theory shop, for instance, you may get dinged for being weak in an area that the organization considers important, but you might be okay with it. You know, if you're that tech person in a marketing firm and you get low scores in marketing, you're probably okay. Now, now it goes back to the previous thing. If it's a critical job skill, then, then it's not an exception, okay? But if you're told you have a true weakness and you're in sales and the weakness is in technology and there are some technology products, we don't inherently recommend. We don't say, oh, gosh, you got to go fix that. Now, it depends on the details of your job and so on. But we have a lot of people that say, oh, my gosh, look at these weaknesses. They're all in things I'm not really good at. Duh. And I'm not sure I would know how to get better. And I'm, I, I thought I was doing good. Well, if you're doing well and you have a weakness, unrelated, a true weakness, unrelated to the core parts of your job, we would recommend you spend time developing your strengths rather than developing a weakness, even if it's a true weakness. So work first on those areas which are critical to your role. Invest in those areas until they're above the mean or above the line, if in fact they're, they're true weaknesses. And then, only then, do you think about looking at other true weaknesses. Always start by looking at those things that are most related to your job responsibilities. Yeah. Now, you left out a category of weaknesses that we can ignore, because what I found is, as soon as I get my 360, I figure out who said the stuff. Yeah. And if I know Bob said it, Bob's a jerk. I, I'm nice. going to fire him anyways. And so, I get to ignore what he does. And matter of fact, when I get 360, typically, all the weaknesses, I know exactly who said them. And I know exactly why I can now ignore them. Yeah. You know, it's funny about that. It, it, it is funny. I actually, it's only happened twice that I was in a 360 thing. I probably sat in 30 or 40 of them in my career. But only twice has a, a manager said about 
true weakness or weakness discussion with their boss based on him or her having a discussion about the 360 that they said something to the effect of, well, I'm not going to worry about that because Bob said it. Okay. Now he, here's the thing. There, there are so many things going wrong at that <laughs> moment in the conversation. I mean, we could write a podcast just about that moment when the boss's head explodes. Okay. First of all, rule number one, you're throwing your direct under the bus. Rule number two, you've just said you don't believe the process. The process is built to provide Bob a platform to tell you how good you are. It's rule not number three. Really? Rule number three, your boss will never believe you when you say, I know who said that because the boss can't believe it because the boss has to support the idea of confidentiality. Okay. Now, maybe you have a good enough relationship with your boss. You can get away with that. Folks, you can't go telling your boss what you're going to ignore because Bob said it, Bob being the bad guy. Okay. Just because you know Bob's tone of voice doesn't mean your boss does. Your boss is far more removed from your job than you realize when it comes to stuff like 360s. Okay. Look, the fourth point is the kiss of death, right? Knowing who said what. So you're getting ready, you're getting ready to tell me that I can't, I can't go on these witch hunts. No, yeah, it's like, okay. yeah. Um, right, you just you just conclude this podcast yeah. by yourself. I'm just kidding. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mike said witch hunt for our international managers. Witch hunt in in the U.S. means going around and find out. There's another phrase called who shot John. As if you're a, a detective, uh, we never recommend managers go out and try to find out what happened in terms of who said what to whom or who's at fault in this situation. You just don't do that. Uh, it's it's not effective. Despite the the great idea of, I would like to really be sure that I'm working on the right thing. So let me make sure that I just don't have a disgruntled employee working for me. Um, it is wrong in all cases to try to figure out who said what. Look, we've seen it. Thousands of managers get these, these 360s and they basically do a witch hunt, right? They immediately look for weaknesses, they immediately look at, look at the supporting comments, and they immediately attempt to suss out who said what. And what's interesting is people don't ever do that for the encomiums, right? They don't ever, they don't ever say, oh, I know Joe said that, so I'll ignore that, or, you know, they don't do that. They only look for the negative. So look, let's be clear about this. We're going to make it short and sweet. The identification of sources the people who actually said things, of negative feedback, not just written comments, but also trying to figure out the numbers and who totally zinged you and gave you a one or a five or whatever. The identifications of sources of the negative feedback is grossly unethical. It is therefore unprofessional as it relates to 360s. We encourage you, if you're an executive and managers who work for you are doing this, that you deliver a strong message that further such behavior won't be tolerated. And we want to be clear, we're not suggesting you give them feedback because feedback is about small stuff. And if it happens three or four more times, it's, it still could be no big deal. And we're going to focus on the positive in the future. If this were us, we would not give feedback. We would say, do that again and I'll fire you. It is unethical. All things unethical are beyond the pale when it comes to being a professional manager or just a professional in general. Wow. Now I feel bad. You really got me with yeah, that yeah, grossly right. unethical thing. That, yeah, that you, really hit me between the eyes. Yeah. <laughs> so. Deputy honor chairman at West Point. <laughs> there you go. 
<laughs> okay. So we've we've got this. We're not going to focus on our on our negatives. We're going to focus on our positives. There right. we've given some conditions under which you may want to focus on some of the negatives. What do we do relative to communication with our team? They know what they we got a 360. Do we just shut up and just drive on or what do we do? You know, I mentioned I probably sat in 50 or so of these. Imagine the manager who looks at me and says, so this is kind of from everybody all around me, right? <laughs> and what's funny is he did the same thing for his boss and for a couple of peers, but now he's looking at his and it's act, he's acting as if he doesn't. he's not aware of how his role in other people's 360s might give him some indication of what people around him, their roles might be with his 360s. So this comes from people all around me, right? And I said, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then he says, so do they know what's in here? <laughs> he says, yeah. <laughs> they said it. You mean they, you mean they have this document? No, they don't have the document. Oh, well, that's good then. If they don't have the document, then they don't know what's in here. I said, well, but the document came from their stuff. He says, oh, yeah, but I can kind of fudge that around. I said, what do you mean? What, what are you talking about? He says, well, I was trying to decide whether or not I need to talk to them about it. I said, well, of course you do. He says, but you just told me they don't know what's in the document, so I can kind of gloss over it. I don't have to say anything, and they don't know what's in it. So for all they know, it was great. I said, yeah, but is there any bad stuff in there? He goes, sure. I, we just talked about it. I said, so where do you think that came from? And he's well, I guess from some of my guys. From Bob, I, guess, I told you but earlier. I'm, but dude, I'm thinking, Bob. Yeah, but I'm thinking that if somebody did some bad stuff, but I don't even talk about it, they must assume then that everybody else said great things, and so I can just kind of ignore it. And I'm just like, this whole conversation is becoming more and more bizarre. I'm like, wow, this person's not smart enough to be a manager. So your team knows they were asked for input even though it's painful for most of us to think about it, we have very little room as recipients of 360s to consider this confidential and keep it to ourselves. Folks, it doesn't work. The problem is really easy. We can justify it internally for keeping it private. The problem is, is the privacy is not the message we're sending to the team, right? Look, nobody wants to be criticized in public, so therefore let's you know, criticize in private. And so therefore I'll keep this information confidential, right? But that's not the message you're hearing or that they're hearing. You think you're sending a message of privacy, right? But since communication is what the listener does, that's not the message our directs here when you decide to be private. What they surmise is it must be bad. He won't even talk about it. You think privacy is what you're communicating. They think weakness is what you're communicating. So, failing to talk about 360 feedback in some way will leave a lasting impression with your team that the information was notably negative enough that you felt compelled to hide it from people. And here's the thing, it's compounded. It really it's actually compounded by the number of people who gave average to supportive comments. In other words, the people who gave good comments, uh, average or above average comments, they think, wow, he's trying to be private. I know I gave good stuff. And they're probably going to talk to other people who gave good stuff. Whatever anybody else must have said to the boss must have been awful because I know it would be balanced out in some way. What awful thing must have been said by somebody on the team that he would choose not to share it when in fact I said some pretty nice things about him because he's a pretty good guy. It's not the number of people who said bad things is the problem. It's literally the number of good things, the number of people who said good things that are the problem. 
So hopefully we've made our point at, at a minimum. So I guess your 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 point would be <laughs> that we actually share it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Look, you know, this is, uh, you know, I, I know we're actionable and I want to be actionable in every cast and we are in this one. And I want people to understand why. So that if there's a curveball in their organization, they'll know how to adjust, right? Because if you're a professional, you can hit the curveball. So at a minimum, our recommendation is to share your 360 feedback, the input that you got at a, at a high level. Now, this is a minimum, folks. We'll talk more about maximums in a second. Set aside 10 minutes during one of your upcoming staff meetings, because we know you have a, a staff meeting every week, <laughs> and cover three simple points. Point one, thank you for your input. Tell your team you appreciate their efforts and also their risk because sharing opportunities for improvement with some bosses in the world can actually be worrisome, right? There's nothing wrong with acknowledging that there's risk in being candid to people in power. They already know it. You acknowledging them makes them appreciate the effort they went to. Okay. Second, give them a high level. I use the word high, clearly high level overview. You don't have to go into detail if you don't want to. The more detail you get into in a presentation, the more questions you're going to get and the more you're going to lose control of the discussion, at least potentially, right? If you start going over, say, quote, the 12 areas of evaluation, unquote, you're risking getting a question like, what did it say about that area where you have a huge weakness and you don't want to talk to us about it right now? So mention one to two areas of strength, particularly if they relate to core responsibilities of your role, your of your job. Mention one to two areas where you feel like you can get better. Encourage folks, un unless you fear somebody doing something unprofessionally, to share more with you in those areas in the days ahead. Tell them you're going to be working on those things. Yeah, you, you really have very little leeway here. You know, if, if you're going to be a professional manager, we ask our folks, seriously, we ask our folks to grow, right? Now, how are we going to how are we going to ask them to grow when we have an opportunity to grow and we ignore our own growth needs? Yeah. You got, you got to be an example for your folks to follow. Yeah. You can't not set an example and then demand when it comes to improvement and then demand that other people improve. Well, you can, it's just not a very just effective way to go well. through your professional yeah. life. Yeah, exactly. Right? I catch myself saying that a lot saying you can't and then realize the answer is really, Oh yeah, you can. It just doesn't work real well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, well, how about posting the results? Can, can that Yeah, you can. Look, the other way to go about this is to take the opposite approach, right? The, the first approach is if I say no, nothing, right? They will assume it's bad and I'm a coward. This way says, I have strengths and weaknesses, just like everybody else, including you guys, but I'm confident enough to share everything, knowing that the more you know, and the more you believe I'm confident about it, the more likely I am to get better. Okay. Now there's some risk there. There's some risk that you're up for ridicule, but as Mike likes to say at conferences, if you're thinking about trying something new and you don't want to do it because you think if you're a manager, your people might laugh at you, folks, don't worry. They're already laughing at you. <laughs> I walked up on Wendy and Maggie at a conference a while ago. They were both there. and um, I want to say it was New York, but I could be wrong. And They were talking about us, and they were having a laugh at our expense. Absolutely. You're kidding me. Really? We, oh, 
Oh. Well, maybe no, no. I'm sorry. Let me take that back. They were laughing at me about something I had done. That's okay. I think, I think, okay. Yeah, I'm writing down. Were, next one, you one. were on the pedestal. Next one, one, Maggie. You, yeah, we'll you were on the pedestal. <laughs> You're a pedestal boy. Okay. <laughs> so look, look. Uh, being candid, posting it on the wall, and say, look, this is me. This is what I'm working on. This is what's good and what's not good. Right. If it's not damning, right? If you've got seven out of 10 areas below the mean for the control group, if they're true weaknesses, don't post that, right? If you decide to give a high level overview, you don't have to list all seven that you're working on that are weaknesses, right? Only pick on a couple, right? But look, posting it, being candid with it, sharing your disk profile the way we tell people to, that's our kind of leadership. Let's not all play to the, to the lowest common denominator of, you know, how can I avoid risk? Avoiding risk is not the same thing as seeking success. Let's step up and be candid about how we can do better as individuals and set an example. Let's admit what everyone already knows. Let's use candor as a competitive advantage and not stealth as a way of avoiding competition. Here, here. Okay. But before we wrap up, though, I just want to, I promised everybody we'd we talk for a second, Mike, about 360s, right? And I just want to touch on this, Okay. If you don't know what 360s are, um, you could do a quick you know, Google or wiki search, but basically it's where your boss and your peers and your subordinates are given opportunities to provide input. And generally speaking, the idea is a number of peers and a number of subordinates give input. And so their data can be aggregated in such a way to guarantee them anonymity, anonymity or at least the feeling that they're being uh, granted anonymity. And in a previous cast, when we talked about your directs or anyone giving input to a, to a 360, we recommended uh, minimizing your risk. You know, we recommend only respond with negatives if you truly know you're going to be protected. And so if there are only three people responding and one of those three uh, uh, that work for your boss, let's say, if you're giving feedback up the chain, and one of those three is teacher's pet, is the best friend of the boss, that person's going to give a real high score. If you're not sure about the other person and then you rip your boss, your boss is going to know it came from you. And even though we said in this cast, that's wrong, it's the kiss of death, there are still thousands probably millions of bosses who do it. So we give different recommendations if you're receiving one of 360 feedback than if you're giving it because we've got to minimize the risk in the case you're giving feedback to your boss. And we recommend avoiding negatives completely, just being generally vague and bland if in fact the 360 process you're involved in is not regular, external, and anonymous, meaning your company does this regularly. It's a standard process that everybody goes through. It's not a one-time thing just for your boss. That's a concern because then that would not be regular if it was a one-time thing. And if HR is doing it, please, no offense, HR, but we've seen too many HR departments mess it up, not because they're not doing it right, but because it sends a message that internal people know things that could be deleterious to a manager and a subordinate. So we want it to be done externally. And anonymity, you've got to have a lot more people providing input than you might think in order to be particularly sure that you can be candid. Uh, and we, our recommendation, our primary guidance on giving input was to minimize risk. It's particularly important that we told people to water down, water down their written comments um, because those are the things that take your tone. If I wrote something and Mike wrote something, I would bet that any 50 listeners would be able to pick which five things I wrote and which five things Mike wrote just because of the tone of our voice and how we write. 
And you've got to consider your relationship with your boss. So we, we have a track record on 360s. We want you to understand our other side of the coin if you have to give input to be cautious about it. And we recognize that that may increase the chances that you as a manager, that your professional development will be hampered slightly. But we can't have directs all over the world start suddenly being 100% candid because we know too many managers who will use information against them and that's wrong. Hopefully that helped. Um, we again, please listen to that cast uh, about h- how to um, how to respond. Actually, we talked about how to respond to requests for 360 degree input. Okay, so wrapping up today's cast, the cardinal rule is to focus on your strengths. Don't worry about weaknesses that are below the line of your mean, but are above the line of the control group mean. It's not a true weakness unless it's below the line. And true weaknesses are only a problem if they outnumber strengths and they're in your job's core requirements, please remember the kiss of death. Don't go after finding out who said what. If you can't keep yourself from doing that, shame on you and only do it at home with your spouse and then recognize you're in a gray area and you ought not feel comfortable. And then at a minimum, you've got to acknowledge the feedback because the opposite is it was so bad you didn't even want to talk about it. And if it's not too damning, we recommend posting it because that sends a message about candid development. And if you want your folks to develop, you better send an example that you're willing to develop as well. Look, professionals develop themselves. When we get feedback, it may be hard to hear. And yet, even when it's hard to hear, the right response is to listen carefully. Incorporate what you can. Be professional when you talk about it. Reinforce your own strengths. When they're core to your role, continue to develop on your strengths. That's what will get you ahead and will produce the most results for the organization. And if you do have true weaknesses, start working on those that are most closely related to your job's core responsibilities first. Awesome. Enjoy it. It's a great one. Thanks, partner. All right. We'll see you. Thanks, everyone. That's it for this week. We'll see you all again next week. So long.